Uh, for those of you who are online, the script there, we had to mute that out, unfortunately, because of YouTube rules. But the script is, you want to say it with me? It's Friday, then it's Saturday, Sunday. What? <laughs> that's right. Thank you. We are in a series called Thank God It's Monday. Now, in that song, that guy does not mention Monday. I'm not sure how many of you, like Tyron said, wake up on a mo- Monday morning all pumped for work. Hopefully, since Jacques' sermon last week, you did. And um, we are in the second week of a three-week series where we are looking at a new way of approaching and a new way of understanding work. Um, did you know that the average person spends a third of their life asleep, just less than a third of their life at work, and just over the last third doing everything else, right? So my brother thinks that that's a great reason to get a good bed, number one, right? But also, can you notice that work takes up the lion's share of our lives? It gets this massive chunk of our lives, and I'm not just talking about paid work, I'm talking about any work that we do. Um, you know, you, you might be in school or university. That's work. You are, you are working. You may um, be a parent raising kids. That's work. I'm talking about all these kinds of work. Even if you are unemployed and you're looking for work, you know that it's work while you're looking for work. And so we want to look through the series through the lens of Scripture at this topic of work. Often we, we think that Scripture just gives us a list of things to do. It does give us a lot of really practical things to do, but more fundamentally, Scripture gives us eyes to see. And we're really asking for God's eyes to see work the way that He intended it to be. Um, and I think when we understand God's heart for work and for how we approach work, we will change the lyrics of that song, right? To, please don't make me sing it by myself. It's Monday, right? Monday, it's Monday. Thank God it's Monday. And we'll wake up pumped for the week because of what God is going to do through the work of our hands. Just to recap, last week Jacques gave us three very practical truths um, that describe work. Firstly, he told us that work is good. He reminded us that God is a worker and God created us in his image also to work. Secondly, that work is difficult. Since the fall in Genesis, work has been negatively affected and Jacques spoke about those thorns and thistles, the difficulties that are involved in our work all too often. Um, And thirdly, he said that work is satisfying, that God finds joy in the work that he does. And his desire is for us to find joy in the work that we do as well, especially when we utilize our spiritual gifts and our strengths and when our work is challenging enough for us. His desire for us is to find joy in what we do. And so I'm going to launch into three more truths about work, but let's pray before we do that. God, thank you so much for work. Thank you for your word. And God, we pray that you really would give us eyes to see today that you would see whatever we put our hand to, that we would be able to see that the way that you see it, the way that you intended it. And so we ask God that you would speak to us this morning, that it would be your voice that we hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, the first one I want to speak about this morning is that work is provision. 
Work is provision. I'm not sure how many of you write in your Bibles or underline or highlight anything in your Bible. I would bet that the most highlighted verses in people's Bibles around the world are possibly those verses around provision because we all need provision. We need to be provided for. And um, sometimes God provides for us in surprising ways. Um, I don't know how many of you have stories of God providing for you in some miraculous way. About probably 15 years ago now, I visited my mom's cousin, which would make her my, I don't know how that'll work, second cousin, once removed. I just threw that out there. I have no idea. My mother's cousin, who ran a ministry in Bulwer um, for disabled children. And she was just telling of all these stories about how God had provided for her their organization. But the one that I remember, and I've actually shared it a lot of times with people that I've spoken to, she was telling about how she often used to go shopping without any money because she was shopping for this organization and God provided for her. Often people would come and put money in her hand. This one instance, she was walking around the shops, filling up her trolley with the food that they needed, with the nappies and all sorts of things that they needed for this organization. And um, she was getting quite close to the till. And she started to say, okay, Lord, this is you're cutting it a bit fine here. I don't really, you know, <laughs> you know, normally by now someone's given me the money. I have nothing. Carried on. She started putting the stuff through at the till. That's faith, eh? <laughs> anyway, she's just putting it through and putting it through. And I mean, I can imagine what she must have been feeling. And as the last item went through, a person tapped her on the shoulder and said, it looks like you're buying things for children. Do you run a ministry? And she said, yes, I do and gave her a check. Remember those things, checks, this is how long ago it was. Get this, the check had already been written out to the cent of what it said on, um, on the till. How crazy is that? God sometimes provides for us in miraculous ways. And it's more frequent than we think. However, the most common way God provides for us is through the work of our hands. The most common way that God provides for us is through our work. When uh, we ask about provision, Matthew chapter six, Jesus says to us, look at the birds who are so richly provided for by God. So let's look at the birds. What do you see when you look in your garden and you see birds, what do you see? They're eating, they're working essentially. They're finding worms, they're building nests, they're flying around, they're doing all those birdie things. But they're working diligently in the way that God made them to work, right? And God is providing for their needs. The bird that sits idly in the nest and doesn't move anywhere is the bird that dies. And so when God says, look at the birds of the air, and he provides for them, how much more will he provide for us? point that God's making is that he provides for us as we work, which often makes, me, uh, makes us feel like we're providing for ourselves, that it's the work of my hands. I did the work. Deuteronomy 8 verse 17 says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord, for it is he who gave you the ability to produce wealth. Remember the Lord. The work is provision, work is provision. So 
Who is it provision for is a really important question to ask. And there's four things that we see in Scripture. Through our work, firstly, God provides for our own needs so that we're not a burden to other people. God provides for our own needs. Uh, make it your ambition to work with your hands so that you will not be dependent on anyone, 1 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians says, we hear that some amongst you are idle. They are not busy. They are busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread that they eat. God provides for our own needs through our work. He also provides for the needs of our dependents because there are people that depend on us. We have all been dependent on somebody at some, at some stage. If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially his immediate family, he has denied the faith, 1 Timothy, hectic. So through our work, God provides for our own needs, but also for the needs of our dependents. He also provides through our work for the needy amongst us. Within the church, in the city, around the world, God can use the work of our hands to provide for the needy. Do something useful with your hands, Ephesians 4 says, so that you may have something to share with those in need. Fourthly, through our work, God advances his kingdom. How beautiful is that? Through the book of Acts, we see often people coming and putting financial gifts, putting money in front of the church leaders, essentially saying, here we go, I'm bringing what I've earned so that God's kingdom may be advanced through the work of the church. Tyron spoke earlier about the beautiful opportunity that we have to build God's kingdom when we give to church. You know, the leadership of the church manages money, obviously accountability, obviously intentionality, but how amazing is it that through my work and my giving, I can be a part of God advancing his kingdom. It's so beautiful. And so who God provides for through our work, for ourselves, for our dependents, for the needy, and to advance his kingdom. Work is an absolutely legitimate and a spiritual goal. Work is a spiritual thing. It's God's way of providing for us. And I think when we understand this, it changes the way we view our work. Now, whether you're earning 30 rand an hour or 30 grand an hour, every time you get a little SMS confirmation of something going into your bank, we can say, God is providing, God is providing. God is providing, God is providing. And we can say, thank God it's Monday. Hey? So work is provision. Secondly, I wanna to say today that work is service. Work is service. One of the most important verses that guides our understanding around work is that verse in Matthew 22 that speaks about the greatest commands. First commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. We're going to lean into the first, one, the first commandment just now, but let's hone in on that second one, to love your neighbor. Simply put, work should be an opportunity for us to love our neighbor, to put that command into practice. Uh, Premi Piatti is a, is a restaurant um, many of you might know it, and they've always got these great logos, um, great little slogans that they throw out. At the moment, they, their slogan that's written and embroidered on their t-shirts is, we love people, we love food. It's a great one. 
think that's actually a little bit of my, my, my life's motto right there. We love people, we love food. Very true. But it used to be work is love made visible. What a cool slogan, hey? Work is love made visible. Now, here's the thing. Christ came to earth as a servant. He came to lay down his life for the well-being of others. And when Christ's life touches our lives, his heart should rub off on our heart and we should become more like him, which means that in everything that we do, we can be a servant of all. We can lay down our lives for the good of those around us. We don't work for what we can get from others. We work for what we can give to others through the work of our hands. How can we serve? What can we give? Who is my neighbor? How can I love? Work is service. Work is ministry. The, the word in Greek for service is the same as the word for ministry. Work is our ministry, it's love, it's service. All too often, this is not what we see around us, hey? We've had some pretty real examples over the last decade of, of individuals who are quite willing to push down entire communities so that they could be raised up. And to be honest, on a smaller scale, sometimes we can see that in ourselves. That willingness to put ourselves first, even if it means others are pushed down. But workers' love is so different. It's not what can I get, it's what can I give. Will I willingly disadvantage myself so that I can see those around me lifted up? When we understand that work is service or work is ministry, we can even take it a little step further to say that work is calling. Work is calling. Every now and then people ask me as a pastor, how did you become aware of your calling? And I'll answer the question, and sometimes I'll throw back the question to them and say, well, how did you become aware of your calling? And often it's, um, it's met with a very confused look on their face. God doesn't only call people into ministry in church. God calls all of us into the ministry of work. It's a calling that God has placed on us. Whatever we are doing with our hands, He's given us the ministry of work. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 17 says, Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord assigned them to, just as God called them. I hear Paul speaking about one's work. Speaking about one's work, God has assigned you to whatever you are currently doing. God has called you into your current work. Do you know that the Latin word for calling is the word vocatio? You see what English word we get from that, right? Vocation. Our calling, our work is our calling. You have been called. If we, work, if we see work as a job, we'll work for money, right? If we see work perhaps as a career, then we'll work for success or status or um, one, of, one of those sorts of things, respect. But when we start to see work as a calling, we see it so differently. Right at the heart of this calling is the calling to serve others, to work 
for the common good, to, to, to use our work to be love made visible. Again, I'm not only talking about your work if you're a professional, whatever you work for, for money. If you're doing volunteer work, if you're at home, if you're retired, whatever you put your hand to, God has a purpose for that. And you can use that to serve those around you. If we see our work as a calling, it changes everything. It changes how we choose what we do, how we choose our line of work, how we choose to spend our time. We'll start to look not at what's going to earn us the most money or what's going to be the best advancement for myself, but we start to choose according to what's going to be of most service to those around me. That's what I want to put my time to. If we see our work as a calling to serve, it dignifies some of those low status jobs, and I put them in inverted commas on purpose, because there is no low status job if they're callings from God to serve those around us, right? Whether you're a service provider, whether you're a cleaner, people who work behind the scenes and maybe feel like they're not getting any recognition, the child who's caring for his elderly parents is fulfilling a calling. The dad who changes nappies is fulfilling a calling, gents. Let's elevate those so-called low-status positions. I heard of a husband who came home from work and the house was an absolute mess. Clothes all over the floor, the bathrooms were stinking, the dishes were all over, kids were crying, the beds were unmade, the TV was blaring, and the the husband was like, what's going on? And the wife turned and said, well, you know how you ask me every day what I did? Well, today I didn't do it. There's no such thing as a low status calling. Seeing our work as a calling also changes the way we approach work. Because regardless of whatever line of work you're in, we can recalibrate it around a service ethic. How can I best serve people today? Also, seeing our work as a calling changes how we oversee people. It changes how we interact with people. It definitely has to change how we interact with everyone, but I wanna specifically speak to those who oversee people. Some people who have the privilege of being a boss or employing others. We need to be reminded, as Colossians tells us, to treat employees with justice and fairness while remembering that we're accountable to God for how we treat those under us. Society tells us when we're in a position of status that we need to be served. But how can we serve? How can we serve those that we oversee? Whether you run a huge business with 100 employees, whether you run a home with one employee, how can we serve them? Frederick Buchner describes a calling like this. He says, a calling is the place, well, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. That's the sweet spot. Because truth be told, service, work as service, sounds a little bit contradictory to what Jacques spoke about last week, saying work must be satisfying. It sounds a bit contradictory. Unless you find that sweet spot 
where you are deeply satisfied, your deep gladness meets the world's deep hunger. So work is provision, work is service or calling, and the final point that I want to make for today is work is worship. Work is worship. Remember, we lent into the love your neighbor as you love yourself part of that verse. But how can work be a way to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? How can work be worship of God? Again, don't only think of work as a specific profession. Work is what we do with our hands, what we do with our time. How can we use that to worship God? Before I unpack that, I actually want to go on a little tangent, if you'll allow me. Because I think all too often, not only do we fail to worship God through our work, but actually we err to the point of worshiping work. Work becomes everything to us. It becomes an idol to us. And instead of work being worship, work starts to be worshipped. You know, last week Jacques spoke about that question, so what do you do? You know, it's one of the first three questions when you meet someone new that you, you ask, right? So, you know, what's your name? I don't know where you're from. What do you do? There's nothing wrong with that question. Actually, it's a good way to get to know someone a little bit better. However, the problem with that question is that we often jump to a conclusion or assign value to that answer. You know, we jump to a conclusion about the person's character or about the, where they fit in society when, when they answer that question. I, I say it firsthand all the time. You know, you're in a place, what's your name, Debbie? What do you do? I'm a pastor. You can see them glaze over, try to avoid you for the rest of the night, you know. It's as if I've got this gigantic Bible that I'm going to pull out my pocket and like smack them. And I don't know why. Maybe they've had a bad experience with pastors, but automatically sometimes you say that and people think you're going to judge them or you're a certain kind of person. I'm sure you've all experienced that in your own space where either they're like, ooh, and you can see them treat you a little bit nicer or like, oh, and like look down on you a little bit. So like the ooh, ooh or the ah, oh, you know, one of those two things. But it's so sad that we live in a time and a culture where our identity is found in what we do. All too often. We define ourselves by what we do, which means that when that thing is taken away from us, who are we? When you hit retirement, who are we? If you get retrenched, who am I? Because our identity is all too often wrapped up in what we do. There's a classic movie, Chariots of Fire. I'm sure many of you are aware of it, about a man called Eric Liddell, and they ran the 100-yard dash in the Olympics. And he had a competitor called Harold Abrams, and just before Harold Abrams went to work, was about to run, that was his job, he said this, I've got 10 seconds to justify my existence. Isn't that so sad? That if he failed, or if he came second, or if he tripped, his entire identity was caught up in what he did. Can you see how work can so easily be distorted? It can so easily give us our identity. 
think one way you can determine whether you're worshiping work is often the state of your relationships. I think often one of the first things to go when work is worshipped is relationships. Family, how much time you're able to spend with those closest to you. Sometimes we act as though success at work equates to a successful life. It doesn't. Sometimes we make an idol out of our careers. We need to repent of that. Sometimes we make decisions about jobs as though the ultimate purpose of work were self-fulfillment. It's not. Sometimes we judge people's worth based on what they do, on their career or their status. We should seek God's forgiveness. Sometimes we allow work, which is just one dimension of our lives, to crowd everything else out. Family and rest and Sabbath and playtime and relationships. Much better to worship the work of the one who gave us our identity. We worship Jesus, whose work for us, without us having to do anything, gave us our identity. Titus 3, 5 verse 7 says that Jesus saved us not because of righteous things we had done, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Without me doing any work at all, he justified me. He reconciled me to God. He gave me an identity as his child, an heir to our heavenly father. I don't have to justify my existence by working. I have an identity because of the work of Jesus Christ. And when this penny drops, it changes everything. I understand the acceptance with God based on grace, not on what I can do. I'm not only what I do. I am who I am. Because God made me. And God died for me. Okay, so I'm coming back from my detour, right? Work is worship. Work is worship. All of our lives can be conducted as a life of worship. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 to 24 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. In Chariots of Fire, um, Eric Little, when he was describing running, which was one of the things that he did for a living, he described it like this, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Work is worship. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Notice two truths from this verse. Firstly, it's not just church work. Sometimes we separate what we think is spiritual and what we think is not spiritual. What we think is spiritual is like coming to church and all those spiritual things, praying, uh, serving, you know, those sorts of things. And what we think is not spiritual is often what we spend most of our time doing. But that's not accurate. Whatever you do, Whatever you do, Paul's speaking here about your 
work and everything else that you do. Worship is no longer confined to a specific place and a specific time with a specific sacrifice, doing it a specific way. No, Jesus was that sacrifice. We are the temple. We can worship, as Paul encourages us, in a 24-7 kind of way. That everything we do is worship. We don't have to wait for this spiritual time where we come to church and that's the only time we're allowed to work, worship. Work is worship. The second truth from Colossians chapter 3 is that we can, work, we can worship God with the quality of our work. Whatever we do, do it well. Do it with all your heart. So perfection is not the standard. Only God is perfect. But whatever you do, do it with all your heart. Do it well. Do it the best that you can. Do it with an excellent attitude. Bring excellent quality. Do it the best that you can. In the, 19, in the 1500s, sorry, Martin Luther, really speaking to this, he said the following. He said, the maid who sweeps her kitchen is doing the will of God just as much as the monk who prays. Not because she may sing a Christian hymn as she sweeps, but because God loves clean floors. God loves a beautiful attitude and something that's done well. The Christian shoemaker does his Christian duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Whatever you do, do to the best of your ability as worship to God. Put that in any other context. What does that mean for the Christian accountant? What does that mean for the Christian teacher? What does that mean for the Christian homemaker? Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart because it's worship. It's worship. A great example of this kind of work that's worship to God, we can see in Johann Sebastian Bach. Not sure if there's any classical music fans out there, but Bach was born in 1685 um, his parents both died at a very young age. He was, I think, 10, and both his parents had died. And he had a very friction-filled life. But somewhere in that process, he determined he was going to write music. And he was going to write music for the glory of God. That's what he decided to do. So when he was 17, he became the organist at church. And during his time in, in Germany, he wrote a new cantata every month. If anyone's ever tried to write music, especially this kind of music, a new cantata every month. There was a three-year period of his life where he wrote, conducted, orchestrated, and performed with a choir and orchestra a new cantata every week. Every week for three years years. I think at that time, nobody had any idea what mark Bach would leave on the world. So where did he get this drive to do such good work and so much of it? Well, you can actually see it in his manuscripts. At the beginning of each of his manuscripts, he writes these little letters, these little clues. He sometimes would write I-N-J, which stands for in nome Jesu, in the name of Jesus. Or sometimes he would just inscribe a little JJ, 
Jesu Juva, which means Jesus, help me. And at the end, he would inscribe SDG, which is Sole Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory on the last page of his manuscripts. He got that work was worship. His work was to write music. And he wrote it for the glory of God. And he wrote it the best he could. Whatever you put your hand to, do it as an act of worship. If your work currently is to look for work, how can you make that an act of worship? I think the question is not so much what work you're doing, but what is the motive behind your work? What is the attitude you bring to your work? Are you seeking to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength with your work? I think that's the game changer. It's definitely the game changer. Even if no one on earth appreciates your work, there's one in heaven who does, and that's who we're working for. That is who we are working for. When we get this, my prayer is that we wake up on a Monday. We say, thank God, it's Monday. I know you're all going to do that tomorrow, right? You can report back to me if you live with someone. Just hear it from all over the house. Thank God, it's Monday. I get to work. I get to worship with my work. I get to serve with my work. God will provide with my work. Thank God it's Monday. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for work. God, what a gift it is to us. God, we pray that we would always keep it as a gift, that it would never become an idol in our lives. For those of us, perhaps, who have recognized this morning that it is an idol, God, we repent. We don't want to try and prove our worth through what we do. We don't want to find our identity in what we do. Jesus, thank you for your work on the cross that has given us our identity. Lord, we pray for provision. We thank you for your provision for us. For those of us who are struggling at the moment, God, we ask for provision. We pray for jobs, for people who are looking for jobs. But also, help us to identify where we can serve in the work that we do. Who around us can we serve and help us to do that well? But God, as we approach work this week, we pray that we would see it with your eyes, that we would do it the best that we can because we are working for you and not for man. In Jesus' name, amen.